0: And uh, this morning, Winston greets me and welcomed me back <laughs> as a full-time staff here. Uh, thank you, Lord, and thank you for your prayers and support. And uh, my health is stabilized. But who knows? <laughs> we are all sustained by the grace of God, right? So let's continue to pray for each other and pray for my health. May God still use me to, uh, to, to extend his kingdom and bless others. Today I'm going to talk about prayer a common topic or a very uh, common religious experience that we go through as Christians or other religious groups right so um let's let's start with this question then okay what is your experience of prayer um, lately or recently is it a very intimate experience for you as you pray? Or is it a routine? Or is it a struggle for you? You pray when you go to bed and wake up you say amen <laughs> and pray throughout the night. Actually, you, you, you don't have a very like, disciplined prayer life. It's, a, it's like a struggle for you. And me, and myself too. And how about you see the super spiritual battle for you? You stay up all night to pray and pray for something that you really want. So today I will talk about uh, a prayer experience that Jesus is talking about in this passage. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Pray and don't lose heart. The word lose heart in Greek can be translated into faint Weary, discouraged, and give up altogether. So Jesus teaches us, pray continually and don't stop and don't quit. Maybe we'll ask, why people quit praying? Or do we have experience that we pray but we quit sometimes? Let's take, it for, uh, take some examples, think about it. Something that we we pray before, but we stop. Maybe we pray very hard that our relatives or friends or even family members to come to church and accept Christ. We we invite them every time there is an EM, evangelist meeting. We invite them, but they keep rejecting us. We're discouraged, right? We pray very hard, but nothing happens. Or maybe maybe we pray for, for peace, for for disaster to stop, but it but it keeps coming. We are disheartened. And maybe we pray for the revival of the church. But we didn't we don't see anything happen. So so that that kind of things. So, so we stop praying altogether, maybe. We attempt to stop and pray for other things, right? So Jesus teaches us, pray and don't lose heart. Don't quit. Keep praying. So when you ask why we don't lose heart in prayer, I think this is one of the main reasons. Prayer is not answered according to our expectations. We want God to act fast. We pray, and then he works. Right? But he doesn't. Sometimes we lose heart. We're discouraged. So let's look at the passage. Verse 1. Jesus uses the parable to try to encourage us continue to pray and not Lose heart. Not be discouraged. And actually, it's a command. We will look at the grammar of this verse. That they, the apostles, or today, all Christians, ought always to pray. There's an emphasis there. Ought to pray. So it's a command. Why Jesus commands us to pray? And don't lose heart. Because prayer demonstrates or just shows our relationship with God. As we pray, we are building relationship with God. When we stop praying, our relationship with God just stops. Jesus wants us to pray because he wants us to, to build relationship with him. Let's take for example, another example, right? Bad couple communication brings bad marital relationship. Or vice versa. Stonewalling. You know about that term, right? We stop communicating with each other, then that relationship is not working. No communication, the marriage is dead. So we ought to pray to God so that the relationship, our relationship with God continues to grow. Our Lord want to build an intimate relationship with us. So he commands us, he commands us, he encourages us to pray and not quit. Let's look at the uh, parable. It's a very simple parable. Some scholars would name it as the parable of, of a persistent widow. So the emphasis will be on the widow on how how she prays continually right persistently and some would say it's a parable of the wicked judge the emphasis is on the judge and how he compared with god and other scholars would suggest no the emphasis is on both (laughs) the widow and the judge i prefer the last one so i'm going to share with you how we can learn from the widow, and also how we are how we, how we cautious about being the judge ourselves. Okay, Let's start. Let's start with the wicked judge. He is wicked because, because Jesus called him wicked. In verse 6, he is unrighteous or wicked, depending on the translation you are using. Okay, he is wicked. Jesus called him just that. And then he doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear God. But he is supposed to fear God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 19, 6-7, King Jehoshaphat, when he appoints judges, judges in Judah, actually you order them to be a good judge, because God is a God, is a just God. So we look at the passage. Is it too small, the fonts for you? Yeah, it's, it's for me when I look at that screen. So I read. <laughs> and it said to the judges, King Jehoshaphat, consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord, our God of personality, or taking Bribes, which means judges should fear God, right? It's very obvious here. But the judges, the judge and the parable, he doesn't fear God. And he also doesn't respect man, especially for the vulnerable. When you look at the passage of the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27, 19, the Lord says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow. So God protects the widow, the less fortunate. But this judge, you care less. So this judge is wicked. Oh, another. Oh, sorry. Maybe I missed one thing. I, I won't go to the pers- uh, persistent widow first. He is also very self centered. How do you know it? When you see why he gives justice to the widow uh, in verse 4, I missed that uh, uh, PowerPoint. uh, Sorry about that. If you look at verse 4, for a while he refused. The wicked just refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yes, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not bear, beat me down by her continual coming. So he gives the willow justice, not because of, of, uh, he is a really good judge. He wants to make things right, because it's self-centered. I don't want to see her again. Right? <laughs> it's absolutely self-centered. It's egocentric. Well, don't bother me. I will give you justice. Okay, let me, let me go. This is absurd, right? A judge was supposed to be fear God and give justice to the to the people, especially to the vulnerable. But he just cares for himself. Let's look at the persistent widow then. This only one was describing this widow, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, to the judge, and saying, "Give me justice against my adversary." So in this verse, we know that the widow actually is a vulnerable person in the, in the society, in the Asian society. When a, a woman lost her wife, uh, husband, then he has no male figure in the family to depend on. He's financially vulnerable. So he needs someone to protect her. But she doesn't have one. So she's vulnerable. She needs someone to protect, to, to protect her. And she, and even worse, she has adversary. He treated her unjustly so that he wants justice. He go to the go to the judge and keep coming to him and ask for justice. So he wants justice badly. Because he has no one to turn to. So he has no one to turn to. So, when we look at this uh, verse, then we, we learn from this widow. So I would say, she prays persistently according to the will of God. She's praying according to the will of God. Why is that? Because when we read Deuteronomy, chapter 10, 17 to 18, we know that this is the the will of God that the widow and the vulnerable super protected. And he will protect this this vulnerable uh, people. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. So it's the will of God that he continues to, 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 to border, or, or in this case, his teaching about prayer, We continue to pray according to the will of God until the will of God is established, accomplished. So it's Reminds us when we pray, are we praying according to the will of God? This is a good question. It's a very hard question, too, right? We always ask ourselves okay, I pray, we pray, we pray very hard. Is this the will of God? I love this traditional hymn. We sang one today because of me, right? An old guy. So, another old hymn. <laughs> I'm not sure you've, you've have, have you sang, uh, sung this before? God has not promised. Hey, does anyone know this song? Only a few. Oh, guy. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> mature. <laughs> Spiritually mature. Okay. Look at the verse. God has no promised. Skies always blue. Flowers turn pathways all our through. God has not promised. Sun without rain joy without sorrow, peace without pain, right? We pray for a stress-free life sometimes. Not always, but we really want a stress-free life, right? But no, maybe it's not the will of God. Look at the refrain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. Maybe this is what we ought to pray for. We cannot escape difficulties in life, right? There's stress, there's uh, problems, difficulties, day in and day out. Instead of praying for a stress-free life, We pray for strength. We pray for grace. We pray for unfailing sympathy and undying love from God. So we continue to pray for that. Okay. And the last one, this persistent widow, she won the race or won the the game in God's justice. When you look at the uh, verses 4 to 5, we know that beat me down. The word underline actually is it literally uh, translated into like strict the person under the eye or give someone a black eye. So he's using a boxing metaphor to describe this continued pleading of this widow. So at last, who won? The widow won the, way, won the game, right? He beat <laughs> the judge down. So, actually the the judge afraid to be beaten. (laughs) Okay, so so, do do you think it's humorous or funny? (laughs) A powerful guy, a powerful judge lost to a vulnerable widow. It's exactly exactly what Jesus wants me to laugh at. Laugh at the judge. If we Look at this parable as a satire. Set, right? Satire. We know that it is actually, uh, the purpose of this story or parable is to hum- humiliate or to radicule the judge. Powerful as it is, it is lost to the powerless widow. So when you, when you think about what is really radic- radicules, this, uh, this satire radicules, of course, the first object is the wicked judge. And also we think maybe a little bit deeper, actually it talks about absurdity of the sinful world. This sinful world is absurd. Just as the widow gets you know, God justice, not because of... A, of a good or a sound justice system, but because of luck or because of this this wicked just 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 think about himself and then he got justice. It's absurd, right? It's absurd, totally absurd. In this sinful world, we know that justice is not always served because of a sound or a good justice system. It's because of something else. Maybe sheer luck or by chance. I'll give you an example. A wrongful conviction of John Mar- uh, Marshall Jr. So he he was uh, he was uh, I mean he was he was convicted as, as uh, 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 a murderer and sentenced to life sentence. Okay, life in prison. It's a wrong conviction, wrongful conviction, and CBC names it. The name Donald Masha is almost synonymous with wrongful conviction and the fights for native justice in Canada. And you see, he spent 11 years in jail, and then he was sonorated in 1983. And you look at the list. Whatever could have gone wrong, did go wrong. So the investigative tunnel vision is that because he is a native and he had a drinking problem and the police thinks that, or thought that he was the one who murdered, who, who, who did the murder. So you can see this. If you are interested in this case, just Google it. It's totally absurd. And then in the book, that writes about his, uh, this story. He says, Bill Swan says, the story of Donald Marshall Jr., uh, Jr.'s wrongful conviction is the story of courage and betrayal, of perseverance and luck. According to the eyes of the ordinary people, it's sheer luck that he can be released. We know that in this sinful world, there's no real justice. Sometimes we suffer from it. Sometimes we contribute to it, knowingly and unknowingly. There's no real justice. Because in this world, real justice and goodness only comes from God. We can occasionally Experience justice in this world because God intervenes, but there will be no perfect justice in this simple world until one day God's kingdoms come on earth. There will be real justice and goodness and peace. So we go to the explanation of the parable, verses 6 to 7. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous just says. It's absurd, right? And will not God give justice to His elect, to his elect who cried, him, cried to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So by comparing the wicked judge with God, Jesus wants us to know that God is totally different from the wicked judge. Because God gives justice, God does not delay, God cares for his elect, he sees his elect as precious people, and God acts speedily. Do you agree? But it's not always the case. If it's, If it was, Jesus wouldn't have to tell this parable to us and encourage and, and us to, to pray, right? So it's not always the case. So how do we resolve it? How do we understand this passage or this explanation? I don't have a very good answer for, you, for this question. It's very hard, right? Yeah, just like the problem of suffering in the world is very hard. Uh, we don't have the mind of God, and the, and, the, and the ways of God is always higher than us. But I can still give you two possible answers that you can consider. The first one is God's timing or God's concept of time is different from us. In Second Peter chapter three, eight. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as, as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So as we pray and pray for years, for God is only one day or one minute. So it requires us to, to really, really surrender to God, right? Just we have to wait and submit to God's perfect timing. That's it. Second possible explanation: the action of giving. Giving justice itself is speedy. What does it mean? We look at verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. You can understand in this way that the action of giving justice itself is speedy. I give you an example. The example of Exodus. The Israelites were treated as slaves in the land of Egypt for how many years? According to two sources, one is 400 and the other is 430. So a long time, right? But you look at the actual deliverance itself, It only take three to seven weeks according to some scholars. So when you compare this, the, the, the time of slavery to the time of delivery, so can you say that the delivery is speedy? You may, <laughs> if you don't agree, that's okay too. When we look at the phase two expansion. It takes me how uh, takes us how many years to to plan for this project? Ten, right? More than ten, maybe. But it takes how 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 long to get the site plan amendment application approval? Maybe a month or so, right? Ten years compared to one month, God acts speedily in this sense. Yeah? You agree? That's good. If you don't, that's okay too. <laughs> Both cases actually requires us to be patient and pray continually and don't quit. And it requires to believe that God is merciful and God is just, and God is willing to answer our prayer speedily and fast. And he really wants us to get the things we need in his perfect timing. Because we are his inactive people, he loves us very, very much. By concluding, Jesus gave us a warning. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on earth? It seems like a question, but actually it's a warning. When you look at the context, it's talking about the second coming of Christ, right? When the Son of Man comes, and we look at the larger literary unit, Jesus actually talks about his second coming, starting from chapter 17, verse 22. We have a Bible or a cell phone, turn to that passage. He talks about his second coming, beginning in chapter 17, verses 22. He talks about his second coming. His second coming will be fast, And sudden, and there, he will bring justice to the earth. And also judgment, too. So he gives two examples to illustrate his point. The day of Loa and the day of Lot. Chapter 17, verses 26. I read it to you. Just as it was written in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and silver rained from heaven, and destroy them all. So we will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is the examples that Jesus gives to us. So his coming will be sudden and fast, and judgment will come. So we conclude the parable with a question, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith? We find such faithful people on earth. This is actually the conclusion of this section, the second coming of Christ. And, if, and try to bring justice or also judgment on earth. Those who pers- pers- perse- persevere and pray and don't quit and don't lose heart will be rewarded. will be saved. But those who just live the ordinary life as usual or Indulge themselves in this daily enjoyment, they will get into trouble. This is actually a warning if we look at the whole passage. Actually, we are living in the time of this difficulty as as is uh it, as it was in the days of Jesus, right? It's too to pack the passage. I'll read it to you then. It's the days before the coming, the second coming of Christ. But understand this: that in the last day there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, or loving good lovers of. Oh, where are we? Where? <laughs> lovers, lot loving good treacherous, reckless, one with conceits, lovers of pleasure, right, and lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. To avoid such people. Okay. So we are living in this difficulty. We attempt to quit. We attempt to quit praying, right? Look at all the mess out there. Is our prayer Really makes a difference? Does our prayer make a difference? We just, we just forget about, about praying about a, a, a better better world. We we just indulge in our daily living and then just enjoy ourselves. Canada is a good place, right? We have a lot of freedom. We are champed. Quit praying for the higher values and pray for the kingdom to come again on this earth when justice, love, compassion, heavenly goodness will be established on earth. It's a good reminder for all of us. So God, Jesus actually wants to challenge us. Who you are right now, or who you want to be. You can, you can be a judge, a wicked judge. Just be self-centered, following the paths of this earth. When you can be the widow, pray persistently without losing heart, without quitting. Until we see justice, occasionally, occasionally be seen in this world. Or fully established when the next next world that's to come. God is challenging us. I give you some moments to uh, just reflect. This morning, I, when, I, when I think about this, I'm prepared for my sermon. I just want every one of us to think about something or someone that we prayed before, but we stop praying now. Maybe you just we just cried ourselves before the Lord, and then we think about something, or a person, or even yourself, Maybe you have give, given up yourself in some areas. So may, may God may the Holy Spirit uh, just shows us, show us that we have, we have to continue to pray for the, those things. And then I'll give you a few moments, then I will conclude with a prayer. If you remember those things, you can pray for that. Pray for those things now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word, for your word. Thank you for your reminder. It's a simple message but it carries a lot of weight. Lord, teach us how to pray according to your perfect will and also according and wait for your perfect timing so that we can see your hands moving in us, in our lives, in our church, and also in this world. We thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's move into the time of Holy Communion.